What's up? What's up? What's up? Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Action Academy podcast. I'm your host, Brian Lubin, bringing you the mindsets, methodologies, and actionable tips from top performers, business owners, and people that have achieved financial independence in their life, which means that they no longer trade their time for money and they have their freedom, people. Freedom. Braveheart voice. Today's episode, we have a very, very special guest, Mr. Lance Allred. Lance is one of my good friends, and he was the first legally deaf player, legally deaf player in the NBA. Uh, 2008, he played for the Cleveland Cavaliers with LeBron James. Some of y'all may have heard of that guy. (laughs) But uh, Lance has a very interesting backstory, and it's very, very powerful, and we go into it in detail today. He was actually born and raised in a polygamous commune that was headed by his grandfather, and he escaped that when he was 13 years old with his family. And that's actually where his basketball career began. So Lance has a lot more to offer than just talking about basketball. And me and him get really intense and really deep right out the gate. So please, please pay attention. Listen to this a couple of times and bring out a notepad to take notes on what he has to say. He drops some bombs about life, philosophy, uh, communication, and karma in general. So I think this is going to be a very, very impactful episode for a lot of you. And all I would ask is that if you like the episode, leave a rating and a review. Um, shout me out on social. Shout Lance out on social. Give us a follow. Uh, follow the podcast. And that's all I have to ask of you, my friends. I hope that you enjoy the episode and take it away as much as I did. Um, without any further ado, Lance Allred. <laughs> All right. Three, two, one. Lance Allred. How are you, my friend? Doing well, Brian. Thanks for having me, man. Man, it is such a such a privilege and honor to have you on here. I've known you for a little over a year now. And I remember the first time meeting you, it was about the same reaction probably as 99.9% of everyone else. I was like, man, this guy's tall. <laughs> and uh, I'm I'm so excited for everyone on this podcast to be able to see all the different multitudes of a man that you are, because when I think of you physically as tall, if I were to describe you to someone, I would describe you as someone with, it's kind of hard to describe. It's almost like a beautiful intensity. Mm. You have an intensity about you that's not brazen it's not brazen brazen it's not it's not in your face it's a very quiet and a subdued intensity which is kind of rare to see have you always kind of had that or was that developed that um that's pretty astute and you actually made me kind of emotional i appreciate that um i would say with the hearing loss and the 80 percent hearing loss as a child and growing up in a very extreme you know polygamous commune and then family going into hiding when I was 13, it it forced me to mature very early that I didn't have much of a childhood, that I was pretty much thrown into the fire pretty quickly to realize that the world isn't going to um, coddle me or baby or make sure that my needs were met. And even in my family system, um, I learned very early or felt at least that I had to contribute and not take. Mm. And so in the quiet world that I live in, just watching people and watching how they move and recognizing body language and patterns like the Truman Show, I've just been a keen observer that my brain processes the world, this very silent world, and or in order for it to have learned to survive, to survive, it really did almost kind of see it as this continual chessboard. Mm -hmm. And I have learned to soften over the years that everything isn't competitive and people aren't always trying to get the best of me or my family. Um, There is still that early programming that still resides within me that, as you said, I've learned to subdue, but I still have a deep intensity of life that through my experiences and again, the machinations in my brain 
to me, it's okay. We're here to do something mm. because it was so intense. It wasn't like, Oh, it was here to have fun and games and play around. I'm like, okay, this is, this is serious stuff right out of the gate. Mm -hmm. um, there's something going on here and I don't know quite what the game is, but I'm ready for the other shoe to drop at any moment kind of thing. But I've learned to move more into trust, but still moving with intention and purpose in everything that I do. I would definitely describe you as a person that does that. And I've, I've got limited interaction with you. But um, for people listening, when you meet Lance for the first time, uh, the words gentle, gentle giant come to mind. You see the six foot 10 guy standing over in the in the room and you're like, wow, this guy's got an in, like an imposing presence. But you see this guy and he just has this sincere look on his face where he's just so deeply invested in everything that everyone else has to say. And it's just cool to watch because it's something that I've tried to kind of lean towards because I feel like it's it's a superior way of being instead of just thinking to talk and thinking what's next to say, you actually listen to listen. So I, I think that's a really unique characteristic that you have. I would say having watched you and watched the way you maneuvered at the GoBundance event, but also watching how you engage on social media with other people, um, you're well on your way and you might be light years ahead of me as far as um, you having learned that much sooner than I did. Um, yes, I learned with my hearing that... Um, Learning to be the best listener in the room really means can you actually sit and let people express not necessarily what they're thinking, but what they're feeling. Mm. It's powerful. And give them a space that they're safe to do that. Even though I am intense, people know that um, I'm not intense in a intellectual, oh, I want to be the smartest guy in the room. I don't care. People don't care if you're the smartest guy in the room. They just care if you care. Mm. They want to know, have you walked a mile or have you walked through enough bullshit of your own to even begin to put yourself in my shoes and relate and um, share and hold space with what I'm going through knowing that I'm not alone in my own unique journey of life, because we all have our own different challenges, but the root fears of abandonment, um, uh, how would I say it, captivity, mm -hmm. um, those are the two main fears that I think most people are running from. And I, I would say abandonment is usually the strongest one. That's usually what drives so many of us. And when you get peel past the onion layers of all their the superficial tension or stress or concerns people have is usually the fear of abandonment or that inadequacy i'm not good enough and i haven't done enough and especially as men raised in a world where we were taught okay cold war values i have to achieve all these things but now we feel this um, cliff chasing us that we're trying to run from that the world is changing and now we're being told that there's only so much time left for us to live a fulfilling life mm -hmm. people are going to come and take it from us and again that's just a story but it's a very real palpable fear that many of us have and you um, have displayed a great knack for being able to move with trust one of my favorite things you ever posted is being able to laugh at yourself during the whole crypto rage. And you were like, <laughs> I lost this much money, but hey, it's just money. <laughs> I'm glad that I'm glad that's the sticking, sticking out factor is me, is me losing my ass in crypto this year. Lance. Thank you. Thank you so much for your friendship. No, man. But, <laughs> but the fact that you took it in such grace and stride mm -hmm. show that there is this deep deep, I don't know, soul maturity that's beyond your years that you're able to, I'm not attaching my worth to this experience. I'm just learning from it. And that is where the bridge needs to be built for so many people in this world. And the fact that you already, even though it's easier said than done to do that, 
but mm-hmm. you're still coaching yourself to do it, giving yourself new programming, new thought patterns that we were not inheriting, that we did not inherit from older generations. I'm like, man, this guy, he's got to figure it out. He's going to set himself up pretty nicely for uh, not just a fulfilling life, but an impactful life. Man, I appreciate that truly, Lance. That means a lot to me, brother. Um, so, yeah, and when you say that a quote comes to mind, um, Gary Keller from The One Thing, uh, Keller Williams Real Estate, the founder, mm-hmm. he, he has a quote in his book, The One Thing, that I really like, where it's life is a juggling act and you're juggling all these different balls. And some of the balls are made of glass and some of them are rubber. And he goes, some of the glass balls are your family, your friends, your integrity, your values. And the rubber balls are working, working money. So if you drop your family, if you drop your faith, if you drop your values, then those glass balls are going to shatter or they're going to be fractured. And then if you drop work or money, it's a rubber ball. It's going to bounce back. Hmm. So that's kind of been my kind of guideline ever since I listened to that, man. So I appreciate that. Um, Lance, you are really big on identity. Um, I want to read a couple of identities that I picked out from you. I want to see which one that you kind of associate the most with, you know, since you've had so many different chapters and seasons of your life. Yeah. And we'll also go into your origin story, obviously, because there's so much power in that. And there's so much um, like kind of agonizing beauty. You went through, you went through shit, you went through the fire, and then you came out like a phoenix on the other side. Wow. So here are some identities. Um, you've got the six foot eleven guy who was the first legally deaf player in the NBA for the Cleveland Cavaliers, two thousand and eight. That's one identity. Wow. Your author, that's an identity. You're a speaker, that's an identity. You're an escapee of a polygamous commune, that's an identity. Uh, business owner, that's an identity. And then my last one I've got is communicator. So which one is Lance Allred most right now, or do you think you're still a mixture of all of them? Sure, all of them. Communicator is the closest one. I would say I aspire to be a bridge. A that's bridge. What that's what communication is. Bridging people to have intimate conversations, not only with other people, let alone others from different communities, cultures, and values, but more importantly, to bravely have intimate conversations and communication with their own self. Mm, with their own self with their own self of being able to ask themselves difficult and uncomfortable questions. Questions such as why do I feel the need to hobnob or associate with these people today? Is it because they have value to teach me and I want a teacher or a mentor, or do I simply want to be with the cool kids and look validated and have other people gawk and think I'm successful? I ask those kind of questions to myself all the time Mm. when i go and meet someone i'm like okay which identity or archetype is going to wants to show up in the room today is it the victim that i think the world's a scary place and i think the world owes me a pound of flesh and i'm hoping someone gives me a handout or is it the student that's looking for a mentor or am i showing up as a mentor in this room and that's that's constant inner communication that i have with myself and coaching people and getting them to develop these skills of integration. Integrity is the root word of integration. As you say, integrating all these identities. And when you are integrated, you're no longer in blind spots that you're no longer being driven by subconscious identities such as the victim, child, saboteur, prostitute, which are the four survivor archetypes that call Jung uh, described earlier last century, that we all have them. Um, when someone's not integrated, those four survivors will pop up and run the show. Saboteur, for sure. Like when you have someone that you're trying to build an intimate romantic relationship and they just do self-destructive things, they're not mm. consciously doing it. That means you're engaging with their unconscious saboteur. Someone who's not integrated is driven largely by unconscious archetypes that run the show trying to survive because they think the world's a scary place. Getting people to be just a half a second slower and communicate with themselves that I can then begin to communicate with other people. I'm like, oh, hold on. I just got triggered. My inner child is coming up. My wounded Mm -hmm. child. 
and I'm, I'm about to project onto you and I want to project onto you. Just give me a couple of minutes here to calm down and let me regroup, reintegrate, and we'll have a more mature conversation. And that's Those powerful. Are the conversations that I like, communication that I, that I work on. So I would say communicator is a good one. Thank you. <laughs> Anytime. Yeah, that's a powerful one. Is uh, Man, there's a lot in what you just said right there. Um, and I'm trying to become a better communicator myself. And like I mentioned previously, where it's not listening with the intentionality of what you're going to say as a rebuttal or as an add-on, it's listening to truly understand and then offering what you have to say to build on top of that. So, and I, I love that answer. So uh, I think, right. Yeah. A little, little tips on that. I like where you're at. I know you're going to, you're trying to segue somewhere because we have limited time, but I just want to give you a couple tips and points. Let's go. You. That like when you're listening to listen and really hold space for someone, you don't you, here's some you when someone's done speaking and you feel like you have wisdom to give you, you just say, can I offer some advice? Hmm. And you, they'll tell you rather than just simply just giving them advice and coaching them. If you just say, would you like me to offer some advice or do you want me to just sit and hold space for you? Ooh. I ask that question all the time. I give them one of two options. Then you have permission. Give them permission. They give me permission. I give them permission to be where they're at, and they give me permission how to respond and best show up for them. And then that's, that leads to the second thing. Sometimes I'll just say, how can I best show up for you today? Mm. Doesn't mean that I'm signing away my life rights to anything and something's written in blood, and therefore they're going to take and leech off me. No, sometimes it's like, how can I best show up? But, you know, those little things of learning to listen just with the intention of listening and then having those powerful questions when they're done speaking. Those are just some coaching points that I'll give to you. Man, you're well on your way. That's fantastic. And uh, that's something that everyone that's listening to this right now, they can take away too. And I'm going to put those in the show notes as well so that everyone can kind of come away from this. And I'm sure it's not where people thought that we were going to take it. That's why I wanted to come out the gate with this, because I knew I knew that we were going to smack him in the face of some intensity right out the gate, right yeah. out the gate. Yeah. So I think it's a good time to go into your story, man. I think uh, your story is so powerful. And so I'm going to obviously have an intro uh, bringing you into this, but I want to hear it in your words, man, because you're you're so uh, eloquent in telling it. Yeah, it- so as far as death polygamous kids making the NBA, I've sort of cornered that. <laughs> that's my niche. Um, you got the market uh, share. I, that's mine. I mean, there's lots of speakers uh, with different uh, challenges, but you know, there's like two or three that are competing for the same mountaintop. This one's mine. Um, so yeah, I, the reason why I have hearing loss, I was born and raised in my grandfather's polygamous commune in rural Montana, where they didn't worry about things called the RH factor. Mm-hmm. And um, so I was nearly dead when I was born and there were no amenities to learn sign language. And when I was about 20 months old, they discovered that I had severe hearing loss due to this ROH factor, meaning my mother was a negative. I was a positive blood type and her body was killing me off as a parasite. And so I was very fortunate to be alive, but with no amenities to learn sign language, I was made to wear hearing aids and go to speech therapy three times a week till I was 15 years old um, to learn to speak this way. And so I was a big kid, always large, but I didn't start playing basketball until I was 14 after we had escaped from polygamy. And then that was a nice segue for me to um, make new friends at the school. Basketball first was more of just a social bridge. But before then, with communication, here I was being forced by everyone to be a better communicator and very much wanted to communicate, living in a world that didn't understand me. And what I was trying to express, but it was also a very emotionally repressed world as polygamous, ultra right wing extreme cults are want to be. Mm-hmm. Um, there I was in space therapy doing my best to communicate the world, telling me that you sound stupid, you sound dumb, you need to better be a better communicator. And then you can imagine my surprise once I start communicating and I developed this skill that I invested so much time in being able to do. It is the thing I am most grateful for, the ability to communicate. That Then I go out into the world and I'm like, wait, why doesn't anyone want to communicate? <laughs> Nobody wants to communicate. 
everybody wants, everyone should be a mind reader. Everyone should just be my soulmate and know exactly what all my needs are supposed to be. You're just supposed to get me. And so yeah, there was a great irony of my life. I'm like, wait, everyone was afraid I would not be able to communicate. Yet all I see are just pot kettle black that nobody wants to communicate. And so with that, I was a kid who very much wanted to express and communicate. And my parents encouraged me to read and write as a form of communication. And so I was a kid in school winning the writing awards, poetry awards before it was cool. Mm -hmm. And then when we broke away from polygamy and I started playing basketball after that, um, it was a tough adjustment because I had all my 400 first cousins. They were my social network. And suddenly I had to develop like new social skills. It can't just be, oh, we're blood related. We're all reds. We're God's chosen people. It's like, I'm nobody. I'm here in a public school now. I got to learn how to make friends and start applying some of this communication work that I've been developing. But really, I was with that preface. I was a writer who happened to be a basketball player. Mm. I wasn't a basketball player who happened to write on the side. So again, that's who I was as a kid, a writer, an author, a poet. And then suddenly with my size and a new way to fit in, um, I, I transitioned into basketball, allowing that to help me find a sense of community and tribe. And at first, I wasn't very good. Uh, my inner ear imbalance was atrocious. Um, I couldn't play with my hearing aids in due to swearing concussion issues. So I had to learn to play in a very different way, keeping my head on a swivel and um, doing things that no one else really wanted to do. But realizing that set me up for the entrepreneurial lifestyle. Hmm. Things that people uh, thought was beneath them, uh, running everyone in my six, six foot 11 frame, diving on the floor for the loose ball, shooting the bank shots that aren't glamorous, but just two points is two points and you get your points and you move on. Um, entrepreneurs don't go for home runs. They just go for the singles and eventually the singles mm -hmm. add up to more than home runs. And um, I... Uh, yeah, with a late start, it was a late bloomer, but I got a scholarship to the University of Utah after three years of hard work practicing before school with my high school coach. And Utah just lost to Kentucky in a national championship game. And then that was a tough experience, University of Utah, with Coach Majerus at the time. Brilliant man. I have a lot of gratitude to him. But um, um, there's a double standard kind of like uh, with athletes that were gladiators. People don't care about our feelings. And it was a it was a very emotionally abusive situation that I actually left the University of Utah um, with PTSD, had to go on medication, and um, I nearly quit. But then I transferred to Weber State, and little by little, I got my confidence back, and my senior year led the nation in rebounding, but was not drafted, went and played overseas, then went to the minor leagues for like 1100 bucks a month, wasn't sure what I was going to do with myself, and then by chance, you know, starting center, starting power forward and starting a backup center all got injured or bought out um, to different teams, leaving me as the only center on the minor league team for the Utah Jazz in Boise, Idaho. And my first game as a starter on the road, I had 30 points and 10 rebounds. And I'm like, I, where, did, where did this guy come from? I'm like, I've been sitting here in the bench the whole time, but no one gave me a chance. <laughs> they, thought, they just had me, the deaf guy, go do all the communication stuff, right? The TV interviews, the radio interviews, and again, all those things that people thought was beneath them. But the irony isn't lost on me. It is. I just had the deck guy do all the communication, but I'm like, fine, I'm going to learn how to do a radio and TV interview. I'm going to learn how to do public speaking that these demeaning opportunities are actually what allow me to transition out of basketball and make more money than I ever did as a basketball player. That these skills mm. that I picked up that I did not turn my nose at um, gave me the opportunity to be much more multifaceted and versatile that allow me so many different streams of revenue now because I developed those skills that no one else wanted to do. And... Um, yeah, so I did not make the NBA until I was 27 years old. That's seven years longer than the average rookie. Uh, seven years of heartbreak, injuries, disappointment, politics. And um, it was, uh, 
I would say, would love to say the moment of being there was all worth it. And it was because I had done something that people said can never be done. My first game as a basketball player in eighth grade, I was ejected because the ref thought I was ignoring him. And people thought, yeah, there's no way this guy can do that. And I said, watch me. And I, it was it was pretty amazing feeling walking into the NBA locker room and my jersey was right next to LeBron's and there was all red right on the back of it. And it was a special moment because I had done something that had never been done before. And uh, while um, the experience was not as long lived as I would like, it was 2008, the same year, six months later, the recession hit and I was released mm -hmm. like most players in the 14th, 15th roster spots were. Karma doesn't always pay us back in the same currency. That huh. while I never got the big major paychecks from a basketball club, the investment that I put in of my heart, my soul, my integrity, my name, my values into the game of basketball itself, the sweat equity that I put in for 20 years, it didn't come back to me as I expected it to, again, from a big fat paycheck from an NBA club, but it has converted to a different currency that as a speaker, an author, a coach, entrepreneur, um, many other things that it has continued to pay me in dividends from them. So that's a big thing I tell everyone, karma does not always pay us back in the same currency. Oh, that's powerful. I was writing it down as you were saying that um, one of the people that I think of when you say something like that is Kobe, mm -hmm. because I instantly think of someone that was obviously talented on the court, but he applied that same mindset and that same surgical precision into every asset of his life and every facet of his life mm -hmm. where he could go and he could be the best father. He could be the mm -hmm. best author himself. He could be the best director and he could do everything. Can you kind of speak to that about taking that level of precision and professionalism into everything else that you do and kind of how it trickles out? Absolutely. I, while I wasn't always the biggest fan of Kobe's on-court game, that sometimes sure. he's like, I could pass the ball, but I'm not going to. I'm going to shoot it with five guard guarding me, knowing this isn't the best shot. <laughs> he knew what was a good shot and what was not a good shot, but sometimes he just didn't care. And he just shot it. I'm like, Oh, that's so frustrating. Um, but I admired him greatly because we were cut from the same cloth as far as basketball as one piece of my identity. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to publish a book that same year from Harper Collins when I was called at the Cleveland and Kobe's doing these artistic pursuits that other players would be threatened by. And they call him a sissy for being creative or artistic and stupid stuff like that. Because again, they were so afraid of stepping outside their comfort zone and trying to broaden their brand or who they are, or uh, they might fail at something and they were too insecure to do that. Whereas mm -hmm. Kobe was like, I'm not insecure enough to try new things. I'm going to keep trying and growing and developing new things. And so losing Kobe was a very, was a sad day for me too, because I felt we had a kinship there uh, as far as here's someone that is leveraging all of his intensity and pulling out the investment and um, just, you know, doing a good job at diverting them and broadening and rather than having all of his eggs in one basket that he wasn't pigeonholed to just being a basketball coach when he was done playing basketball and that I still almost get so insulted when people still say, well, why don't you go coach basketball when you're done playing basketball? I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> because I'm more than a basketball player. And Kobe was that same way. He loved coaching his daughter's teams, but he's like, I'm not going to go, being an assistant coach because there's so it's that. identity exactly and a lot of people just assume that's what i should do even people after they hear my keynote they're like well that was great but you know why why are you coaching a basketball team i'm like let's just go for um roi here and bang for buck i can impact tens of thousands of people every year speaking or i can impact 13 people a year being a basketball coach. Um, I might impact them deeper as a coach and their mentor, 
But for me right now, um, I appreciate my experiences of life that my unique funds of knowledge from my very distinct path of life that no one else has had um, allows me a, a great opportunity to go and hit um, the masses in a distinct way. And it seems appropriate, not for my own ego satisfaction, but it's like life gave me something very unique. The universe, for whatever reason, gave me this crazy life. Um, and to go quiet with it and not use it to inspire and help mentor many, many other people um, would just seem redundant to the entire experience itself. Mm. And so that's where a lot of my logic goes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. And I love watching you um, apply that. Like you're applying that to all of your pursuits. Uh, a lot of people, the current role that you're doing, the current uh, hats that you're wearing aren't things where the work is spotlighted, like uh, creative work. Creative work is difficult to spotlight the process, but I see you behind the scenes kind of working and working your process. Um, I was listening, Jane, there was a, it's funny how things kind of find you when they're supposed to find you. Right. I was watching, just scrolling through Instagram, like a dumbass because I was bored and uh, entertained. And I saw this bleacher report video of James Harden and James is in front of uh, like, uh, it's like an AAU team. It's some teenagers that he's, he's watching and he's sitting on the bench and they had just finished their practice. And he goes, uh, he goes, y'all MFers ain't sweating. He's like, y'all ain't sweating. He's like, y'all been practicing since 6 a.m. And none of y'all are sweating. He goes, when I get on the floor from the minute I'm on the floor, the first five minutes, I'm sweating because I'm doing hundred everything 110%, full out, full sprint, full stop, full go. And he goes, so y'all, I do more in 10 minutes than you do in this five-hour practice. And then I thought about that in application in my own life. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I ain't sweating. I was like, I got to apply that to my life. And man, I see you, I see you going and I see you, uh, you know, metaphorically sweating. So boom, Lance, all red. There's a metaphor for you. There is. Man. I can do it too, man. Um, Efficiency is the name of the game. Yes. It's, um, doesn't, you don't need to work five hours to show the world that you're working hard. Mm. Can you work 10 minutes and get your sweat going and get it done efficiently? Working Mm -hmm. hard is also working smart. I feel like it's almost like a weird badge of honor, isn't it? Where you're like, oh man, I worked hundred hours, hundred hours this week. Look at me go. I'm like, man, I'm looking at you on your sixth marriage right now. Like (laughs) kids do not know what your name is. They call you, they call you Rick. Yeah. (laughs) Good point. I think it's a weird badge of honor that people think that quantity is a reflection of quality. Mm-hmm. It's not. Um, again, someone can have a hundred million followers on Instagram. Does that mean their content is quality? No. Mm. Someone can work a hundred hours a week. Does that mean they were putting in quality work? No. Mm-mm. And so there's this weird distortion that um, your point is valid that people think I have to work X amount of hours. And that means I've been working hard. It's like, no, to me, working hard is how quickly can you have the impact within a limited time. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something that's applicable for everyone listening into whatever you're doing, because I know maybe one of you guys will make it to the NBA or be a professional athlete or do something, something on a professional level. But I know most of us, that's not going to be our calling. I'm a five foot 10 white guy. Whenever I play rec ball, they pass me the ball three times and I have three shots to make. And if I don't make them, I'm not getting the ball again. Yeah. So we all have to figure out how to bring efficiency into what we do. And and that's how you get your time back. You find ways to increase efficiency. And then all of a sudden your workload um, doesn't matter as much. Mm -hmm. Uh, You said a quote at the beginning of your TED Talk. So for people listening, you can search Lance Allred on YouTube and his TED Talk has 5 million views now, which... I love your book. He wrote a book, The New Alpha Male, but the TED Talk is 13 minutes of just pure bombs. And I can't imagine how much work you put into it. But it's Lance Allred, What is Your Polygamy? And one of your quotes that you brought out the gate 
was most people will choose a familiar hell over an unfamiliar heaven. And then you ask, what is your polygamy? What is your mental baggage that you brought from childhood that is still not serving you today? Can you please go down this rabbit hole and just blow minds right now? Because I've watched the video like 20 times. That means a lot. What is your polygamy? I tell people, you can listen to my hour-long keynote, but if you want efficiency, bam. Exactly, that's my thought. (laughs) Go to what is your polygamy? What is your polygamy was... I probably put 500 hours into that talk as far as writing out the first concept Mm -hmm. and the draft, the first, the first draft had 10,000 words. And then if you ever watched a river runs through it, a story of my homeland, Montana, Norman goes to his father with this essay. Every time his father says again, half as long. And that's how my father raised me too. He was a scholar and doctrinaire, and he always taught me, you can always take more off because again, efficiency, economy of words, wit, brevity is wit. Um, and wit is brevity. And being able to impact with the least amount of words, efficiency. And so if you watch what is your polygamy, it's only 1300 words. That's it. But because the power of a question, that's one thing I learned very early. Never underestimate the power of a question. Don't be the knower and state the fact. Be the philosopher and ask the question. Mm. And in a world that is afraid of philosophers because statisticians and numbers and left brain people, especially these sports front office managers who never played the sport. They're so insecure that they try to hamstring heart-centered living, creative living by saying, I'm smarter than you. I'm going to throw all these stats at you. And because you can't compute it as quickly as I do, it means you're inferior to me. Whereas the philosopher moves very slow. And he asks questions like, yeah, those stats are nice. But at what cost? at what cost of human lives, at what cost of human time. Um, And so what is your polygamy? When I was first starting out my public speaking career, I was going through a divorce and that's why I retired from basketball. Didn't want to be away from my son. And again, the option was I can be a high school basketball coach, (laughs) but that's not efficient. It's not going to pay me a lot. But also, who's going to watch my son? He's 15 months old. I'm paying childcare as a school teacher and a basketball coach. And how am I going to live a life on that? It doesn't pay me. Both my parents are school teachers. I know very well what it's like to live as a school teacher. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, I still want to be a teacher, not my father, but I'm going to do it on a macro scale. And so I heard this rumor long ago that people can get paid for speaking. And people were always asking me to come speak to their kids at schools since my days with the Cavaliers. I'm like, let's give this a shot. So I had no idea what the hell I was doing. Um, just spitballing it, doing this public speaking thing, started speaking at Rotary Clubs, Kiwanis Clubs, Chambers of Commerce for free. But when I was really trying to break into the paid speaking circuit, I kept getting like, oh, we already have Magic Johnson or Mark Eaton come speak last year. I'm like, well, I'm not really a, a sports athlete speaker. I'll use the metaphors, but I'm not going to like rest on my laurels mm-hmm. to engage the audience like many of the celebrity sports speakers do. Because again, I never really achieved that major celebrity status. It's like, no, I'm, I, I'm a gritty grindy guy and i have to learn to always be adapting and pivoting and finding ways to um be relevant not just as a basketball player which is what i did for 10 years as a pro every year i had to develop new skills um but doing that as a basketball as a speaker i kept hitting this wall and so i'm like you know what let's try this tedx thing how can i show these event planners the depth of what i'm able to hit in just 13 minutes. That's all the time they gave me. You have a 13 minute slot. And I'm like, this is a good opportunity for efficiency as a glorified business card. Mm. I can then give to event planners and they can say, oh, wow, he didn't even talk about basketball like at all. 
And he was able to hit everyone in that room, no matter what their demographic, no matter what their identity or archetypes were. I connected with every single person in that room because these are basic human challenges and rites of passage that I was hitting at that a lot of us are blind to, that it's, ne- it's, it's a necessity. It's more than a necessity. It is essential to living a well-fulfilled life. That is the scary thing of outgrowing your comfort zones, especially your cultural comfort zones. Can you speak a little bit more about comfort zones and um, hit a little bit on that? Because I have down as one of my questions, and like I said, like even we aren't, necessarily talk basketball we're using it as a framework to guide mm-hmm. the actual depth of the conversation right. but i want to know you meant it to a professional level at something it just happened to be basketball you could i, I would venture to say that if you were if you were my if you're a 510 average height i would venture to say you'd be a professional at something else probably a professional author so what I want to ask is to kind of take you on a journey here and take us on a journey about the, and comfort zones go perfectly into this, about how to go from someone that is an amateur to someone that's proficient to the comfort zone of I'm good to the comfort zone of I'm damn good to the comfort zone of I'm a professional at this. Can you kind of hit about that? Because that is a journey that I think all of us are on wherever we're at and we can take that. That's an excellent question. First off, I will preface that I will admit that I'm very fortunate that life very early forced me out of my comfort zones. Being made to wear hearing aids, read people's lips, being made to go to speech therapy three times a week, being reminded that I'm not normal. That gave me a high threshold for discomfort that I already felt like an idiot. I felt like I was failing every day. That eventually it stopped mattering to me if I was failing every day because it's just, it no longer even was failing. It was like, I guess it's just just the way life goes. Mm. Every day I am living with the reality that I, moving out of the self-esteem issue that said I'm not good enough to rephrasing it the saying, I have never arrived. I have not yet arrived. And Mm -hmm. that is the mentality that I have converted from the self-esteem battle that I was inadequate, I was not good enough to rephrasing, I will never arrive. But why do I keep aspiring to get there? Because I choose to. That was going to be my next question, is to hit on you saying taking things from, and I have to, to, and I choose to, can you please go down on that? Choose to is empowerment. I have to is obligation or victim. I choose to. And many, many times, even in that seven year, extra seven year journey of making to the NBA, like I remember specifically, my mom would call me one time when I was in the minor leagues, wasn't playing, hadn't played in six weeks, making 1100 bucks a month. She's like, Lance, why do you keep doing this? You, you've worked hard. You proved that you can do it. It's just life didn't go your way. Why do you keep doing it? And I said, Mom, because I choose to. Because it's my choice. I spent enough of my life being a victim and I had enough people in my life telling me I was a victim and saying that life would not be easy for me because of the hearing loss and it was going to be hard and all this and that and this and that. I'm like, I'm not anyone's victim. I, choose, I refuse to live that way. And in that, in those experiences of having to constantly choose to move out of the victim archetype to empowerment, the language of I choose to has been a key cornerstone of my transition and moving into your brilliant question and moving to something I would like to be good at, something I'm proficient at, good to great to a professional. You're moving into the arena of, again, I have never arrived. That I have to have the humility and the confidence to know that I don't know everything. Confident people have the humility to know they don't know anything at all. Insecure people are the people who have to act like they know everything. Mm. Because they're afraid that the world might see them 
for the humans that they are. Imperfect. Imperfect. That's our humanity. That's what we are. All of us are imperfect. And yet our brain wants to think that we can control everything, that we have all the answers, that we can even grasp the vastness of the cosmos with our human, simple binary brain, which is impossible. We're human. And there's grace and there's beauty in that if you can have the confidence and the humility to step into that and say, this is part of the journey. Every generation slightly pushes the needle to wherever the human arc is going. We don't know. But all I can do in my generation is hopefully have the humility to be open to learn more information. Because when you act like you know everything, you're not open to receiving new information. Mm. Humility is a beautiful place to be because it gives you the confidence to know that you can be human and it's okay to be human and it's okay and even fun to learn more information and grow. Humility allows for progression, for evolution to happen. When you resist, you don't adapt and you die. Ad adaptation is what a pro is able to do. That if you look at Peyton Manning or Tom Brady, I mean, the guy's 44, 45 now, whatever he is, he's a different player, but he has some things that he holds on to. But a pro, what I had to learn to do, I scored more with my left hand than I did my right hand. Even though I'm right-handed, it was having the humility to say, I'm not the most athletic guy. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to be dunking on people, but also with intelligence and confidence, being able to say, but I also don't want to compete for the same market share. If everyone's just trying to dunk on each other, that's a crowded room. I'm going to develop other skills that allow me to be unique and therefore inexpendable. And that's mm. not only what basketball coaches and teams are looking for. That's what nature, that's what the world is looking for. So the marketplace what, is looking for. The marketplace is looking for, whether it's entrepreneurial, capitalism, or nature itself, which humans are smart enough to adapt? and figure this out. And I'm going to give them a break. I'm going to help them. They're going to help themselves stay alive longer. And so I would say moving from those echelons that you spoke of to something I want to be good at, the proficient, the good, the great, to a pro, is having the humility and the threshold for discomfort to know that you've never arrived, allowing yourself to fail, knowing that failure um, failure of um, commission, not omission, not passive failure, but aggressive failure when you're trying to grow means you're simply stepping outside your comfort zone and you're trying something new. So, yeah, That's you're failing forward. forward. Failing forward. Yes. That the people who stay inside their bubble, believing that they have all the answers and they don't want to stay inside their comfort zone, go back to the way it was get those coal mines open because we don't want to adapt to anything. That's called being mediocre. I know I'm giving some people some harsh truth, but I had lots of coaches that say, oh, the world's gone soft now. I can't verbally abuse people anymore. I'm like, you know what's, you know what's soft? The inability to adapt. Mm. By, by being willing to adapt, you're admitting that there is no black and white world, that you don't quite fully know what the rules of the game are that the rest can change the game at any moment by how they call and dictate the plays. And I can throw a temper tantrum and be a victim, or I can say, all right, it can change at any moment. And I have to be willing to adapt. And that to my final point, Brian brings me to the point of moving out of outcome-based living to decision-based living. Mm -hmm. Quality decisions is what makes a pro not necessarily outcomes. When you focus on quality decisions, eventually the stats go your way and the wins go your way. Control the controllables. Yeah, absolutely. That you're saying, okay, with all the information I have, taking in past experiences and scouting and you know tendencies of this guy that I'm guarding, but they brought out these entirely new different plays that we haven't seen before. I have to rely on some basic fundamentals, foundational principles, but also my instinct, my intuition, my gut. So I have to take everything, not just left brain stats. And that is what it means to be heart centered living, masculine and feminine. 
being able to pass the ball, shoot the ball, left brain, light brain, being able to do all things at one time, living in the heart, in the middle, in the body, trusting your instinct, trusting your intuition, trusting humanity, having the humility to say, I don't have all the answers, but I'm here just riding along this game of life, understanding nothing is promised to anyone. And I'm doing my best to show up in each moment because I choose to. Mm. I love how you wrapped it back up to I choose to. You just may be a speaker, my friend. I think you've been doing this. You've been putting another 5,000 hours into that. Uh, about, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. Um, so another common thing that you didn't hit on yet, but it's in your talk, and I want to kind of guide us there. I want to take us on the journey over here. So the main reason, the reason that I'm excited to have you on the podcast is I want this to be Yes, it's about business. It's about investing. It's about entrepreneurship. Mm-hmm. Um, it's about, but it's not necessarily re- just real estate. It's not necessarily just one thing or another. I want to have some diverse backgrounds on here, some of the diverse opinions to show that there's 30,000 different ways to climb the mountain. Absolutely. It's just, you have to figure out a main topic I want to get away from and get through to everyone listening to this podcast is about having the vision of what that mountaintop looks like. And yeah, we'll give you some actionable stuff. A lot of the stuff that Lance just said, you can apply to your W2. You can apply to your small business that you're starting and you can become a professional in that regard, but you need to know what that mountaintop looks like. And that's why I want the topic of this podcast to be about is about the why behind it. So a lot of people are wanting the immediate details, the small minutia, details but that would be like asking you hey what's your best rebound drill what's your best you know ability drill um so a lot of the things that i hear in business world and i'm curious about with you are about who not how so it's about having a destination and not knowing how you're going to get there but you're surrounding yourselves with the who and the why so when you have the who and the why solidified you'll figure out the how And I know that your why for a long time was different than most people because it was a religious belief. It was a validation belief. Can you hit on having a powerful enough why and surrounding yourself with the who that it takes to be able to get to that professional status? This is a beautiful question. And really, this sums up the whole law of attraction for me. When people speak of the law of attraction, they've made it this cute materialistic fairy tale wish upon a star. Woo-woo bullshit. Yep. Exactly. It's bullshit. That, oh, if I just wish for something hard enough, it'll come true. You can't just wish for a pony and then a pony is going to appear. (laughs) It is, I have an intention. And the universe in some conspiratorial way is going to give me a download of information. Intuitively, I would know that says, this is what I have to do. Right now, this first step, I, don't, I can't see all the other steps in front of me, but this is the first step that I see that I have to do. Maybe it's just pick up the phone and make calls to people tomorrow. It is baby steps each way that you have an idea. I'm going to get to the MBA. But a lot of the why was at the beginning, you pointed out, was fear-based that I had the story from a Sunday school teacher and cultural beginning that God, it made me deaf as a form of punishment. And so in that insecurity, in that fear-based uh, paradigm where I believed I wasn't good enough and I wasn't worthy of love, I felt I had to do something remarkable, like be the first deck player in the NBA and then God would be proud of me. Am I angry at that story? No, because I've been asked quite a few times, it's a good question. Would I have made the NBA without that why? Mm. I don't know. I really don't know. Um, But I see the beautiful arc and the necessity of overcoming limiting beliefs and the beauty that that is so much of the human journey, the limiting beliefs that we and people around us place on ourselves, that that limiting a belief was necessary for me to overcome because it's something that so many other people can relate to. Going back to um, the law of attraction concept, the law of attraction is I will get a download of what my next steps are to be, and then I will begin operating at a certain vibration, at a certain frequency, 
that I will then attract and find people who are of that same frequency that will help me get to where I need to go, that will be friends, that will meet me where I'm at. That again, you can't just wish and just be ultra positive because being ultra positive um, is actually almost toxic sometimes because you have to allow yourself to be human and feel the highs and the lows of life because that gives you depth, it gives you wisdom, and it gives you the ability to meet people where they're at. Because when you have someone that has just failed at their business and they're heartbroken, they don't want wah-wah. They want to know, have you been heartbroken too? Mm. Can you meet them there? And that is, again, law of attraction, that you can be there at the right time for that perfect person that needs you to be there and vice versa. And so that's what I would say. Um, but again, here's the necessity of the ability to adapt playing game of life like a basketball player, heart-centered. I can't always be shooting the ball because I'm almost, if I'm always left-brained, right-handed, shooting the ball, I become easy to guard, unpredictable. Yeah. I can't always pass the ball, right-brained, creative, passing the ball, being, yeah, uh, you get it. Then I become easy to guard. I have to be able to switch back and forth in the heart, masculine and feminine, because yes, every game I went into, Brian, Guess what? I have the goal that we're going to win this game. Just like by any means necessary. Win. Exactly. Mm -hmm. But by any means necessary. So that means coach can spend all the time being this brilliant X and O guy and have this great creative pregame scouting draft board and all that. But really, by the second quarter, that doesn't mean shit anymore because they've called timeouts. We've called timeouts. Coaches have drawn up different plays. They subbed in different players. There's different variations of the lineup now that sometimes we've never seen before. Mm -hmm. And so, therefore, we're adapting. We're completely playing in the unknown. We're playing in the gray area where nothing is promised, that we still have a long-term goal. I'm trying to win this game, but am I clever and adaptive enough to pivot and be able to go with the flow and do whatever I need to do to give myself the best opportunity to win this game. I cannot go back and say, well, the stats said this is the way it was supposed to be. I don't know. I'm just going to stick with the stats and fall on my sword here. Mm -hmm. That's what a lot of people think life is. I just got to be a, a stalwart and then be the last bastion of this way of life. And Blockbuster. Yeah, maybe maybe I'll get an award in heaven or something like that that people hold on to, which is so ridiculous to me mm -hmm. that we're here and this is a board game of life. And that's how I see it. I always see it as a board game asking myself, okay, am I always choosing to try to win this game? And it is okay, to your point, to get to the why and say, what was my original why? It was validation. I wanted mm -hmm. to be worthy of love. I wanted to prove people wrong, but then I realized how hollow and shallow it was. And being able to see not only there are 10,000 different ways up this mountain, there are 10,000 different mountains. Mm. And my mountain I climb every day now is clarity. That is what I play for. That's what I live for. I don't live for fancy cars. I don't live for toys. I don't live for status. I live for clarity, the clarity that gives me the permission to live life on my own terms, my own standards, my own values, not as what my culture dictated to me because I played in every culture around the world, not everyone, but every continent around the world. And every culture and their mother says their values are the best values. Mm -hmm. It's a wash. And culture is our biggest blind spot. And part of our evolution into self-actualization is being able to step outside of systemic constructs to really discover who you truly are. And that is moving into clarity, being able to see who is Lance outside of this social construct that the world said he had to be. And now moving into clarity that says, I don't have to play those games anymore. I still choose to get up and live and be an entrepreneur because I like the challenge. I like the freedom, mm. not the status. I like the freedom of it. And that's moving into clarity. And the irony is the higher the status, I feel like the lower the freedom. Yeah. 
in many yeah. ways because you become a mouthpiece for other for the system and values and people and they project onto you to be a mouthpiece to allow them to believe that they're living the best way most mm. people are so afraid they're not living the right way and they want to see other people validating reflecting back to them that this is the proper way to be living otherwise i'm not doing it right but the, here's the thing is i don't think i'm doing it right but i don't think anybody's doing it right i think everyone's that's the, point. the best way they know how and that's the point exactly i, I think it's funny when <laughs> i'm at that i'm at that awkward age right now where it's i'm, I'm 26 and then uh, all my friends are having babies. And then you're at that weird point where you're like, oh, my God, like you don't know whether to feel like sad or excited. You don't know if it was on purpose or an accident. And then they're like, they're purposely trying to have kids now. And you realize you're yeah. 26 and that's OK. Yeah. yeah. And when you're a child and you're an adolescent, you go up and you look at the adults and you're like, oh, I can't make, wait to make it to that point where they yeah. know what they're doing. And the scariest shit in life is when you realize uh, nobody knows what they're doing. Nobody knows what they're doing. Everyone's a bullshitter. Everyone's a gamer. You're just trying to do it with the most integrity possible, not hurting or uh, swindling people along the way, trying to instead help everyone around you level up that you encounter along the way. Beautifully said. And as you were talking about the law of attraction, it brought me back to your point that you made that I thought was very powerful. And that's what I want to end this on because I need to have another conversation with you. We just need to do a whole separate because we didn't even talk about the damn book. We didn't. So, and I did on purpose because the conversation was going so well that I'm like, all right, me and Lance got to have a whole separate episode about the new alpha male, about the seven, what is it? The seven different pillars of perseverance. Yeah, principles. Um, I've got it all written down. Yeah, mm -hmm. Seven pillars of perseverance, accountability, integrity, compassion, discomfort, acceptance, transformation, forgiveness, and gratitude. That'll be episode two another day. But as you were saying, karma doesn't pay back in the same currency. So with the law of attraction, I think it's important to remember that you act it's about action. You put out the energy into the universe, like you said, with intentional action. Mm -hmm. And you're not necessarily going to get rewarded or paid back in the way in the currency that you expended. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes it gets transformed. And none of that vibration, it sounds pretty and it looks pretty when it's written out. It's like a little cursive signature. But it's an it's a Effing, I'm gonna I'm gonna cuss on the podcast, but I'm not That's gonna say I'm not gonna drop f bombs. But it's it's not fun. It's not. When you raise your fun. vibration, it's no. not a fun experience because it's the people not. that you were vibrating with before, it's uncomfortable because now all of a sudden you're not with them. Yeah, um, I always get emotional talking about this because there's many relationships I've had to leave behind. Mm. Uh, not because I'm superior to them, not because they're inferior to me. It's just that when you have raised your vibration so much, you begin to trigger people. You begin to scare them. You begin to make them uncomfortable. But that is really so much of a summary of my entire life. Mm. If I look back on this deaf polygamous kid in the backwards of Montana with so many uneducated people and seeing how they were outgrown, and then my cousins, and then my teammates, and then the basketball world. And now there are so many relationships that I have outgrown. And I don't say that with pride. I say it with a lot of sadness because mm -hmm. every one of those relationships helped give me the clarity and the wisdom to keep leveling up. So they all serve their beautiful purpose to help me be where I'm at today. And it, your point is valid. It hurts like fucking hell. Mm -hmm. Evolution, growth, transformation is painful. You're shedding skin constantly. And the hard thing about it is once you set yourself on that trajectory towards clarity, there's no going back. You've already put yourself on that path, Brian. And you know you can't just stop. You've already set the trajectory, that train is going, and you know there's going to be a lot more iterations of who is Brian mm -hmm. from this point. And each transformation will be painful, but necessary. And you understand the Phoenix energy, you use the Phoenix. The Phoenix is a big part of my life. There are so many deaths 
of my identity of who Lance Allred was. I had died and been reborn so many times in who is Lance Allred that I see the beauty of it, but that's the beauty of life and the universe itself, the constant death of rebirth. The universe expands and contracts. That's how it operates, death and rebirth. And that is the beautiful arc. And we can resist it and hate it, or we can find the beauty in it and step into the pain, knowing again, the cliche that you have to have that pain to see the beauty. I think that we need to end it right there on that. So on that note, because I could I couldn't think of a more beautiful place to end that. So as we as we leave everyone listening to this today, we'll definitely, with Lance's permission, obviously, do another um episode where we go into uh his book, we go into some spirit animals, because I still remember mine when we did it. <laughs> and uh just with the advice to everyone listening to this in closing. Uh, it's very status quo to not uh, go into that death, death of ego, death of who you were, death of who you are right now. That's normal to not want to do that and to not do that. So you see people in their 30s, 40s, 50s and 60s saying, that's just how I am. I'm not going to change. So what we're saying today is just why don't you give it a shot? Because if somebody meets me at 35 years old or 45 years old and they say, man, you're just like you were as I remembered you, Oof. that means I failed. <laughs> <laughs> that means I failed and I did something, uh, I did something incorrectly on my path of growth. So on that one, uh, Lance, where can they find you at? Uh, you can find me at Lance Allred 41 on all social media handles and the website. Yep. Look, look for the guy that's uh six eleven standing in the corner, listening to everyone. <laughs> and on that note, I'm going to go talk to my friend off, off mic guys. Uh, appreciate you listening. This has been uh, Brian Lubin and Lance Allred with the action Academy.